and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and finds normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Jen. And I'm Eli. And this week we have a special episode for you. Um, we are going to be joined by Steve from Grognostics. Woohoo! And we're going to look at the corona or COVID-19 pandemic along with the top five pandemics in history. So we hope you enjoy. Not only neutered it, but turned it into a two-leg, two-legged animal is what it did. Um, Wait, what? You heard me. The- <laughs> you heard me. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, yeah. the disease did? Yes, it I did. I think that's a weird analogy. But. Okay. And then, they, but the, and then they continued fighting? Not horses. Y- yes, they continued fighting on the horse. No. They- <laughs> <laughs> farting on their horses. Got it. Yeah. That's why yeah. they lost the war. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh- You're listening to Unearthing. How are you guys doing? Thanks for joining me for this doing really uh, positive show. It's very, very uplifting, I figure. Yes. We're doing our social distancing from across the United States. Exactly. Yeah. How are you guys <laughs> doing social distancing with your podcast uh, shows, by the way? Everyone uh, in a different room and just yelling? or Chad's about three feet from me. I can smell Dave's beard. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I know you guys usually practice that anyway, just because you don't want smell each other but yeah <laughs> it smells like petunias and roses okay let's say no our, our our mayor just issued a what, stay in place yeah, order 21 today day lockdown kind of thing uh, and he's like first rule of thumb no podcast second don't go to work but, like, oh man but then he followed that up by saying the police won't be enforcing this yeah so it's like <laughs> well what the hell nice <laughs> you don't say that <laughs> He's like, oh, you know, I didn't know this was still on. <laughs> Shit. Oh, well, unfortunately, it, the four of us are all essential employees, so we'll all be going to work. We will just be distancing ourselves from the public. It's probably a good idea anyway. Have you seen the public out there? I mean, they're, they're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least well, their we, butts yeah. are clean, okay? <laughs> you know, I've been yeah, working here. every day since I was 16, and I finally got my wish. I don't have to deal with the public anymore. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, here we've had it in place for a while, but like people are still out and about. I say we, anyway. we just got toilet paper for the first time this weekend. We finally have found some in stock, so we're good to go now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I personally, I like to use a lot of toilet paper normally, and I'm excited to know that others are as well and maybe have this whole time. <laughs> so otherwise, why do they need so much toilet paper? <laughs> Well, somebody put it into perspective for me today that, you know, the millennials, we all know life with Oregon Trail. And in Oregon Trail, you're going to die from some poop disease. So they just immediately went to Oregon Trail and went and bought all the toilet paper they could get. That's smart. That's good. Yeah. You were Timmy was always getting cholera or dysentery or IBS. Nasty IBS. (laughs) Yeah. So. Uh, Well, I do want to say Jason um has let me down he's off tonight he has a broken leg he's uh he's taking quarantining to the next level <laughs> i think uh, maybe a couple of people were questioning his dedication to the quarantine so he's like you know what i'll break my tibia <laughs> so jason if you're listening out there uh thank you thank you for your dedication to the to the virus um but uh 
how are you guys all how's everyone dealing with the with the virus uh, in Oklahoma in general other than a new quarantine that's not going to be enforced so to be completely honest I'd I'd probably say 70% of the population doesn't give a damn yeah <laughs> oh yeah at we've least. been busier at work this week than we have been the last two weeks yeah what I what I actually scared the shit out of me was doing research for the show because a lot of these have like multiple waves uh, of the virus where it's like oh this will be gone in a week but it's like oh this came uh, in you know fourteen ten and then fourteen eleven and fourteen thirteen and so I think that was the scariest part that I found with this research at least <laughs> yeah exactly well and then like. You know, China finally has kind of leveled off and they're not getting a whole lot of new cases. But then all of a sudden they've started getting a spike in new cases again. And yeah. it's like because the virus is either mutating or some, something they are discovering it's living longer than expected. Yeah, I think so. I think it mutated originally from an animal to a human yeah. and then it had to mutate again to go from human to human. So, like, do we really know what the next mutation is? But yeah. Um, we're not going to determine that on the show, uh, but we can say as of what's, you know, at almost end of March here, I think there's 420,000 worldwide cases, 20,000 deaths, um, in compared to some of these ones that we'll cover on the show. Hopefully we don't get close to any of them, but we're nowhere close to those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but I do, cause I know there's a lot of doom and gloom on the show. So I do have some trivia to start you guys out with just to kind of lighten the mood a little Yay. bit. Yay. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, you guys, you guys ready? We love Steve trivia. <laughs> you kind of have to, and you know we can't always cut these out, of course. But you better not. <laughs> uh, number number one is uh, toilet paper is at a premium at stores, so a lot of people have had to use alternative methods instead of toilet paper. Chad has been using a his Madonna like a virgin tour T-shirt, B his own foot, C the skin of a pineapple. D, his cat, or E, he hasn't used the bathroom since the outbreak started. He has impeccable control of his bowels. Hmm. I can't answer this he one. He doesn't have a cat, so we can't do that one. But I'm going to say pineapple skin. Yeah. Chad, can oh. you confirm? Um, I'm actually using your cat. Oh, you're using my <laughs> <laughs> No wonder why he looks pissed off and tired. <laughs> I just poop every weekend. <laughs> don't remember having a brown cat. He meditates and uh, he goes away. <laughs> uh, who of the following is the most likely patient zero of coronavirus? The most interest A, the most interesting man in the world because he spent his entire life convincing us he only drank Dosekis. But we all know what? He drank That was him. a lie. Yeah. Guys. The guy's hooked on Coronas. He's a goddamn liar. Yeah. <laughs> B, Mr. Clean, because why did he have to be so clean all the time? Frankly, it's suspicious. What was he hiding beneath all that shine? Um, C, Batman. I mean, sure, the fact that he's a bat makes it obvious, but not sure if you guys heard this, but his butler, Al- Alfred, he's the first known person to die from the virus. So, I mean, just saying. Uh, or, D, because, or D, Robin, because he'll do anything for Batman, and I mean anything. <laughs> I'm going to go D with Robin because he was eating some Batman. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Wasn't all he was doing to him. Uh, Next question. According to an individual who has never worked at the CDC, uh, which of the following is known to be the best way to prevent contracting coronavirus? A, putting a lime in your beer. B, listening to Unearthing Paranormal Sea podcast. C, drinking toilet water at Chad's house. D, snorting bath salts rectally. Or E, riding in a crowded train car with a family of bats. 
listening to Unearthing Paranormalcy for sure. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there, so that's why I want to clarify some of these. Steve, can I add one to this this list? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so we got the D, right? Yeah. E, licking doorknobs uncontrollably. You know, it heightens up your uh, your immune system. So it does. Yeah. I, there's probably some term for that. Some yeah. like really smart uh, psychologist has has deemed as a syndrome. <laughs> I I think it's just called knob licking. <laughs> yeah. That's what Robin was doing. <laughs> That's what, exactly. Uh, next one. I I mean, Jason, I'm asking for a friend, recently attended a naked rave in Berlin. And now I, I mean, he has a pimple on the inside of his butt cheek. Should he get this checked out? Oh, wait, sorry. This, sorry, that was a no, I was going to write that. That was an email I had up to my doctor. Um, <laughs> during, during the quarantine prior to breaking his tibia, Jason had spent most of his days dressing up in costumes he acquired from the set of Fifty Shades or Grey. This is a true or false? I'm going oh, true. true. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, all right. You guys ready to talk some, uh, some pandemics? Let's that do it. That might be the last fun stuff we, we discussed tonight. <laughs> you know what? I've got some cards over here. They're um, called, it's called Morbid Curiosity. So if we get too dark and twisted, we can use them as a palate cleanser. We have had to do that on episodes before. So <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Things get out of line. <laughs> All right. I think I, am I, I'm up first, right? Yes. Which we determined was the fifth worst uh, pandemic in human history, the Spanish flu. Um, do you guys know how it got the name? Spanish. Do you want? Um, good, good guess. Has nothing to do with Robin this time. Spanish got tired of driving, so they flew. A d- average guess. Average <laughs> guess. Uh, so it wasn't because it started in Spain. Uh, nobody really knows exactly where it started, but Spain was neutral in World War One. So I guess they were reporting actual news as opposed to uh, other countries. I, I guess reporting fake news, but it was more propaganda. So. You know, their home country always thought they were winning the war. So no other country wanted to report that they were having instances of this flu. So um, people saw it in the news in Spain, uh, and one of the rulers there ended up contracting it. So it became known as the Spanish flu. But meanwhile, everybody had it. And then uh, I think once Spain sort of caught on to that, then they started calling it the French flu. To put this whole thing in perspective, this was just 100 years ago, so 1918. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was the president who... Obviously, it's been a while since he's been president, but we don't think of him like he's George Washington or Abe Lincoln or something. No, it wasn't like forever ago. So this wasn't that long ago. End of World War One. you know, we're talking like trains and medicine and cars. Like these are all civilized cities. New York City's got like five and a half million people. Chicago's got over two and a half. Philadelphia, two, two million. So this wasn't like some ancient one. It was caused by an H1N1 virus, which you guys are probably familiar with that one from swine flu. I don't know. Yep. Yep. Um, so that was back in 2009. This one was known to be started by birds, although more recent research suggests um, otherwise. Um, they actually believe that it was maybe caused by pigs, which would tie into this whole today's swine flu. Um, 675,000 people dead in the U.S., um, 50 million worldwide. So population at the time was about 1.6 billion so it's like 4% of the population, which is still pretty big. Not as big as some of these other ones we'll go over. Uh, but 500 million were infected, which is 30% of the population. That's pretty insane. I think the most scariest pieces of this was that the death rates were higher in children, especially under 5, and like 15 to 34-year-olds. So 
for whatever reason, this virus attacked healthier immune systems. It's like you said, triggered some response in healthy immune systems. That was an overreaction, which then led to more health issues, which is pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there were no treatments, no vaccine. They didn't have antibiotics. So a lot of people died like after they got the flu and then got an infection. Um, a lot of people died from that. So the only treatments they had at that time were like quarantine, disinfectants, limitations of public gatherings. Is, it start, is that starting to sound familiar? It sounds a little bit familiar, yeah. Yeah. Um, only essential employees going to work. No. Um, <laughs> so like they literally had no way to combat this. And also the early reports of the illness, again, because of the war, they just minimized them all so the public didn't really understand what was going on and then therefore spreading like crazy. There was even a parade in Philadelphia um, in September of 1918 that they didn't cancel and like thousands of people died as a result um, from that. So as far as like how it spread, nobody knows for sure. Some believe it started at a military hospital in, in France. Um, There's lots of like poultry and pigs that were brought in. They think it started there. Um, but they really believe it was probably circulating for years prior to 1918. There's other reports that show at least in the U.S. it started in a military base in Kansas and then spread from there. But the war definitely accentuated the spread because you know, they were living in such close quarters. And then there's also different waves of this. So like the first wave was like sick and elderly, like they took them out. But then the second wave after the virus mutated, which scares the shit out of me, because if that's happening now, it started infecting more uh, younger people who didn't get it the first time through. Um, there was one month actually in the US alone where 195,000 people died in one month. And then ultimately it kind of ran out of steam. So October of 1918, you had 45, over 45, 4,600 people die just in Philadelphia alone. But then uh, it, by November, there were almost like no reported cases. So the virus just kind of disappeared abruptly and nobody's quite sure why. Um, they think that maybe it mutated into like something less deadly, ran out of steam. What's interesting is they actually tried to recreate the virus in 19, late 1990s by exhuming corpses with the Spanish flu, which I think is one of the worst ideas we've ever had. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like some Umbrella Corp Corporation kind of thing. I'm thinking like, by that point, we've got Jurassic Park, so we know what happens when you resurrect dead animals and dead <laughs> <Exactly>. things. <laughs> they were trying to create the swine flu with dinosaurs. Maybe um, that's where the swine flu came from. That's what it could be. <laughs> uh, so they, through this research, that's where they de they determined that it probably was not caused by birds and it was caused by um, pigs. So to this point, I mean, really nobody knows for sure how it started, why it started, why it stopped. Just know that a lot of people died and people are scared shitless that it could happen again. But today, at least we have protection against the flu and vaccines and treatments at least available. So, yeah, um, there you have it. The Spanish flu, fifth worst pandemic on our list. And you are recording, right? I was supposed to record. Yeah, I'm recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard, I mean, it's interesting that it came on and then went away as quick as it came on. You know, because our podcast deals with all things paranormal and spooky ooky. I have heard that it was sent to us from aliens to wipe out the population. It's possible. I'm just saying it it's a government conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, you can't explain something. The rule of thumb is to always say aliens. Exactly. Aliens government too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
There might be something to that government thing because this was the first war when they started um, experimenting with biological warfare. They started hmm. uh, making like mustard gases and things like that, or things of that nature, if you will. <laughs> could, could be some truth to that. Yeah. An experiment gone bad. Yeah. Or gone right. Yeah. All right, so what what do we have next? Eli has the fourth worst pandemic in history. All right, so I actually didn't even know this this existed until we looked at the top five. Okay, this seems super interesting and kind of uh, familiar as well. So what we're going to talk about today is the Antonin uh, plague of 165 to 180 AD, also known as the plague of of Gallen. He was the uh, Greek physician living in Roman in the Roman Empire who described it, so they just basically gave it a nickname. The Plague of Gallon was an ancient pandemic brought to the Roman Empire by troops returning from camp, uh, campaigns in the Near East. Scholars have s- suspected it have been either smallpox or measles that originally caused it, but the true cause remains still undetermined. The epidemic may have claimed the life of the Roman Emperor Lucius Verus, who died and was the co-region of Marcus Aurelius Antonus, whose family name, Antonus, has become associated with the epidemic. The disease broke out again nine years later, according to the Roman historian Dio Cassius, who lived from 155 to 235, causing up to 2,000 deaths a day in Rome, one quarter of those who were affected giving the disease a mortality rate of about 25%. The total deaths have been estimated at 5 million which is a fuck ton. Uh, sorry, I, when I when I when I was is that what the research said? The yes, word? yes. <laughs> this is a fuck ton. Yes, <laughs> it said quote unquote. Eli say fuck ton. And when he said Eli uh-huh. say fuck ton, I was like, I gotta use the f bomb. I, I just gotta. I just gotta. But when I, I use when Wikipedia I, more, <laughs> speaking my language, uh, and the disease killed as. And sorry, that was not a laugh towards this. And the disease killed as much as one third of the population in some areas and devastated the Roman army. Uh, when I originally read this part where it, it, it said that it affected, or basically the fatality rate was uh, 25%, uh, it, it kind of killed me a little bit because it didn't just affect the Roman area. It affected everything in and around the Roman area. Are you, are you making fun of my head, Bob, right now? Maybe. Okay. Don't do that. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when I, when I originally read it, it kind of scared the shit out of me because it's like, I mean, they didn't have any way to kind of like quarantine or anything like that. Uh, so again, scared the shit out of me. Ancient sources agree that the epidemic appeared first during the Roman siege of Seleucia in the winter of 165 through 166. Amenaeus uh, Marcellinus reports that the plague spread to Gaul and to the legions along the Rhine. Eutrophius asserted that a large population died throughout the empire. Raph de Conspigny speculates that the plague may have also broke out in eastern Han China before 166. Given analysis of plagues in China records, the plague affected Roma, Roman culture and literature and may have severely affected Indo-Roman trade relations in the Indian Ocean. Now, before I sw- switch on to the uh, epidemiology kind of report type deal, do you guys want to talk about anything about that? Anybody? All right, cool. In 66, or sorry, in 166 CE, during the epidemic, the great physician and writer Gallen traveled from Rome to his home in Asia Minor. 
He returned to Rome in 168 when summoned by the two Augusta, the co-emperors Marcus Aurelius and Lucius Versus. He was present at the outbreak among troops stationed at Aquilia in the winter of 168-69. Gallum briefly recorded observations and descriptions of the epidemic. In the Tristes Methodist Medendi and his other reference to it are scattered among his voluminous writing. He described the plague as a quote-unquote great and long duration. He then mentions the symptoms and mentions fever, diarrhea, and pharyngitis, as well as skin eruption, sometimes dry and sometimes puscular, appearing on the ninth day of the illness. The information provided by Gallen does not clearly define the nature of this, the disease, but scholars have generally referred to the diagnosis as smallpox. Historian Did you say puscular? Puscular, yeah. Puscular. I, that, sounds, that sounds terrible. I have no idea what that means, but... Basically protruding. Pussy. Protruding. Pussy, yeah. protruding, filled with nasty, nasty shit. Yeah. Diarrhea Sorry. spots. Diarrhea spots. That's what we're talking about, okay? Okay. Just right. to clarify. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely, Stephen. Yeah, I got you, buddy. A story of William McDonald says that the Antonic Plague and the later Plague of Cyprian, which happened between 250, 251 CA and 270 CA, for the outbreaks of two different diseases, one smallpox and one of <laughs> these... I completely fucked that up, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> one Tupac. One t- <laughs> Historian William McDonald claims that the Antonian Plague and later the Plague of Cyprian, which happened between 255 CE and 270 CE, were a part of two different diseases. One of these was smallpox and the other were measles. Not necessarily in that order. Severe devastation to the European population from the two plagues may indicate that people had no previous exposure to either disease, which brought immunity to survivors. Other historians believe that both outbreaks involve smallpox. The latter view is bolstered by molecular estimates that place the evolution of measles sometimes after 500 AD. With the outbreak and the consultation, many turned to protection offered by magic. Lucian of Samosa... Iron Laden, account of the charlatans, Alexander of, again, this is a neo-pan moment, <laughs> Lucian of Samosa, irony, Laden, account of the charlatans, Alexander of Abednachens, record a verse of his, which he dispatched, quote, to all nations during the pestilence was to be seen written over doorways everywhere, end quote. The epidemic had drastically Sorry, the epidemic had drastic, drastic social and political effects throughout the Roman Empire. Barthel George concluded that as, a reign, as the reign of Marcus Aurelius forms a turning point in so many things, and above all in literature and art, I have no doubt that this crisis was brought about by the plague. The ancient world never recovered from the blow inflicted on it by the plague. During the Meconomic Wars, Marcus Aurelius wrote this philosophic work, called Meditations. Passage 9-2 states that even the pestilence around him is less deadlier than falsehood, evil behavior, and the lack of true understanding. As he lay dying, Marcus uttered the words, Weep not for me. Think rather of the pestilence and death of so many others. Now, I'm going to talk about the little, a little bit about the military uh, concerns that they had and what happened uh, to their military during this time. Because it did, it, it it affected the military, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say it affected the military more so, 
But if you guys ever remember just the Roman Empire and how it was portrayed to us, it seemed large and their soldiers seemed many. And basically what it did is it took a horse and not only neutered it, but turned it into a two leg two legged animal is what it did. Um, Wait, what? You heard me. The- <laughs> you heard me. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, yeah. the disease did. Yes, it I did. I think that's a weird analogy, but okay. And then they, but the, and then they continued fighting, not horses. Y- yes, they continued fighting on their horse. No, they- <laughs> <laughs> farting on their horses. Got it. Yeah. That's why yeah. they lost the war. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, no, so basically they turned. They, 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 <laughs> you can. They, you might be able to take my talent, but you can never take farting on my own horse away from me. I'm already a funny fucker to look at. This is just ridiculous. My, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, and you took two legs off of my horse. <laughs> and I will have my revenge. Oh, shit. I shall fart in your general eye direction. <laughs> Chad's confused, no too. Sense. All right. So we're going to get back to this. You guys ready? Yeah. You guys laughing, Amy? Ready. Can Sorry about that. Oh, you're good. You're good. good. Okay. Military concerns. Some direct effects of the contagion stand out. When Imperium forces moved east under the command of Emperor Versus, Varus, after the forces of Volagasus IV of Parthia attacked Armenia, the Romans' defense of eastern territories were hampered when large numbers of troops succumbed to the disease. According to the 5th century Spanish writer, Paulius Aurelius, many towns and villages in the Italian peninsula and European provinces lost all their inhabitants. As the disease swept north in the Rhine, it also affected Germanic and Gaelic people outside of the empire borders. For a number of years, those northern groups had pressed south in search of more lands to sustain their growing population. With their ranks thinned by the epidemic, Roman armies are now unable to push the tribes back. Now, the epidemic only lasted and I say only lasted, it, it killed 5 million people. It only lasted for about three years, but in that three years, like, like I said, it basically neutered the armies, mainly in Rome, but it, it did affect... neutered their horses and took two of their legs. <laughs> We've established that much. I have to say, with what I do know of this time era, in that 5 million, you have to account for burning of villages, including healthy people. Yeah. When Romans would... Uh, discover a village that was being attacked by the plague, they would actually just burn the entire village and kill all the villagers. So. Mm-hmm. That's one way to quarantine. Yeah. A little extreme in my opinion. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't come to that now. God. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> well, I mean, that was such an early time, too. I mean, they had no idea. Of, yeah, they, like, had, they didn't me- have medicine medical. to cure it. That was their only belief was burn it out before it spreads. And I think that's kind of the problem that Three, at least three of the top five had is that it was so early in history that they really just didn't have a clue. They used what they knew, which, you know, everything was evil. It was, you know, the gods were punishing them, things like that. So they just used whatever they could to try to combat it. I mean, it's still kind of scary because it's like possibilities and like, yeah, we're much more technologically advanced, but at the same time, we still have thousands of people dying. Yeah. And it, it does get scary. Chad's next, right? With smallpox? Yep, I'm going to cover smallpox, or as Eli's autocorrect calls it, smallpox. <laughs> There's literally a line in there that was like, some people think it's this, but other people think it's just a epidemic of smallpox. <laughs> <laughs> so smallpox caused the Antonian plague. That's what we figured out. 
I would it, I think with the last one I think maybe worked out it was like five to six percent of the world population. Um, I think, and then this one is more, right? Yeah, this one's a lot more. Before smallpox was eradicated. Wait, hold on. Did uh, any horses lose any legs? uh, No, there's no needed horses or legs missing on these on these horses. What about dead dogs? Yeah, there's no dead dog advisory either. Cool. Okay, sounds good. At least not that I remember when I put this together. Before smallpox was eradicated, it was a serious infectious disease caused by the variola virus. It was contagious, meaning it spread from one person to another. People who had smallpox had a fever and a distinctive progressive skin rash. Most people with smallpox recovered, but three out of every ten people with the disease died. Many smallpox survivors have permanent scars over large areas of their body, especially, especially their faces, and some are left blind. Well, that don't sound small at all. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to the success of vaccinations, smallpox was eradicated, and no cases of naturally occurring smallpox smallpox have happened since 1977. The last natural outbreak of smallpox in the United States occurred in 1949. Now, the origin of smallpox is unknown. It's thought to date back to the Egyptian Empire around the 3rd century BCE, based on smallpox-like rash found on three mummies. The earliest written description of the disease that clearly resembles smallpox appeared in China in the 4th century CE. Early written descriptions also appeared in India in the 7th century and in Asia Minor in the 10th century. The global spread of smallpox can be traced to the growth and spread of civilizations, exploration, and expanding trade routes over the century. In 6th century uh, CE, increased trade with China and Korea and introduced smallpox into Japan. 7th century, Arab expansions spread smallpox into northern Africa, Spain, and Portugal. 11th century, crusaders further spread smallpox into Europe. 15th century, Portuguese occupation introduces smallpox into parts of western Africa. The 16th century, European colonization of the and the African slave trade import smallpox into the Caribbean and Central and South America. 17th century, European colonization imports smallpox into North America. And 18th century, exploration by the Great Britain introduces smallpox into Australia. And we can't forget uh, smallpox blankets in Let's Oklahoma say, history. Yeah, we use them as a oh, yeah. type of biological, biological weapon. weapons. Yeah. Wait, that was a pur- purposeful thing? Yep. Yeah. They're just like, hey, I made this nice quilt. Like, move, uh, uh, you killed my whole family. The, oh, shit. Yeah, pretty much as they were trying to move the Native Americans um, into Oklahoma and then out of Oklahoma when they decided they wanted it back. They would give them blankets and stuff to, you know, make them think they're getting something out of this deal, but the blankets were laced with smallpox and it would spread. That's, something, that's something you learn in Oklahoma history. It's part, of, part of our history. Jeez. Now, smallpox was a devastating disease. On average, three out of every ten people who got it died. Uh, I just read that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first methods... Very impactful to say again. That's pretty yeah. remarkable, actually. Three out of ten. Jeez. 30% of those who were infected. One of the first methods for controlling the spread of smallpox was, was the use of vaccination. Named after the virus that caused smallpox, the variola virus, variolation is the process by which material from smallpox sores, postules, was given to people who had never had smallpox. This was done either by scratching the material into the arm or inhaling it through the nose. With both types of variolation, people usually went on to develop the symptoms associated with smallpox, such as a fever and rash. However, fewer people died 
aside from the variolation than if they had acquired smallpox naturally. Pretty much the first cure was to give yourself smallpox. Yeah. Mm. Which is, I mean, kind of like we used to do with chicken pox back in, you know, the 80s and 90s. I don't know if you remember them, Steve, but the, the chicken pox parties. Did you, did you ever have to one of those? I don't remember a party. Oh, see, my cousins got getting... it. And we all had to go over to grandma's house so that all the cousins could get together to get chicken pox. So we could all have it at once. This might be strictly an Oklahoma hillbilly thing. <laughs> it might be. I think, I think that's the same as putting a cabbage in your wallet. Oh, is that just our family's yeah, thing? I think our family's just crazy. Oh, my family. I don't know, my you guys family might did. want to see somebody about this. <laughs> and my family did chicken pox parties. Yeah, <laughs> chicken pox parties were like a thing back in the day. Now you vaccinate against it. But, you know, it used to be you just get it over with early because it's easier. The basis... The basis for vaccination began in 1796 when the when an English doctor named Edward Jenner, uh, not to be confused with uh, Christian Jenner, but no, okay, I wasn't. They're gonna say Bruce Jenner, but okay. oh, or Bruce Jenner, <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn. That's what I was looking yeah. for. I, I was like, Christian. I don't know who Caitlyn Christian Jenner. is, so I wasn't getting confused. Ooh, I'm an idiot sometimes. <laughs> oh, I thought Christian Jenner was another like Oklahoma uh, folklore. <laughs> We invited him to all our chicken pox parties. <laughs> Christian used to ride his two-legged horse throughout the uh, Native American tribe's land and pass out blankets. <laughs> yep. When an English doctor named Edward Jenner observed the milkmaids who had gotten cowpox did not show any symptoms of smallpox after variolation, the first exper- experiment to test his, this theory involved milkmaid Sarah Nelmans and James Phipps the nine-year-old son, uh, son of Jenner's gardener. Dr. Jenner took material from a cowpox sore on Nelm's hand, inoculated it into Philip's arm months later. Jenner exposed Phipps to a number of times the variola virus. Phipps never developed smallpox. More experiments followed, and in 1801, Jenner published his treatise on the origin of the vaccine inoculation, in which he summarized his discoveries and expressed hope that the annihilation of smallpox and the the most dread scourge of the human species must be the final result of this practice. Vaccination became widely accepted and gradually replaced the practice of variolation. At some point in the 1800s, the virus used to make the smallpox vaccine change from cowpox to vaccina virus. In 1959, the World Health Organization initiated a plan to rid the world of smallpox. Unfortunately, the global eradication campaign suffered from the lack of funds, personnel, and commitment from countries, as well as a shortage vaccine donation. Despite their best efforts, smallpox was still widespread in 1966, causing regular outbreaks in multiple countries across South America, Africa, and Asia. The intensified eradication program began in 1967 with the promise of renewed efforts. This time, laboratories in many countries where smallpox occurred regularly were able to produce more, higher-quality, freeze-dried vaccines. A number of other factors also played an important role in the success of the intensified efforts, including the development of the bifurcated needle, establishment of the surveillance system to detect and investigate cases, and mass vaccination campaigns, to name a few. By the time the intensified eradication program began in 1967, smallpox had already been eliminated in North America and Europe leaving South America, Asia, and Africa. Smallpox was never widespread in Australia. The program made steady progress toward ridding the world of the disease, and by 1971, smallpox was eradicated from South America, followed by Asia in 75, and finally Africa in 77. Almost two centuries after Jenner published his hopes that the vaccination would annihilate smallpox, 
On May 8, 1980, the 33rd World Health Assembly officially declared the world free from this disease. Eradication of smallpox is considered the biggest achievement in international public health. So from 3rd century BCE to 1980, 300 to 500 million people died from smallpox. Wow. So uh, I kind of blew, blew Eli's out of the water there. That 5 million doesn't feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's a lot. Well, you know what at this table... Three of the four of us can get smallpox. Yeah. Dave's yeah. been vaccinated. Yeah, I got vaccinated in 2002, 2003 for the smallpox. I'm confused between uh, smallpox and chickenpox. Because isn't that what you were... Were you having chickenpox parties? Yeah, but that, no? yeah, smallpox is a little bit more uh, deadly. But <laughs> Slightly. There's been one uh, fatal case of chickenpox. No, someone chipped... Chipped over a rake. Well, coincidentally, yeah. <laughs> chicken pox. Chicken pox is actually pretty deadly in adults, but it's not in children. And what usually the death comes from with chicken pox is its infection and sepsis okay. from scratching. Got it. But yeah, Dave got his smallpox vaccine before he went away to war. And yeah. I got an anthrax vaccine also. And then they decided that that was making people go crazy, and they quit giving it. Well, they didn't want to admit just the conditions were making us crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So they blamed it on the vaccine. (laughs) They're like, surely surely it isn't the war and all the explosions. It must be this (laughs) drug we gave them. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Well, I know we have two more to get through, but I had just some questions to ask you guys about... uh, some intrigue around uh, coronavirus. Okay. Yes. And uh, these, unfortunately, these aren't funny, but uh, <laughs> um, unless Chad, you have more to add. Oh, I might be able to. We'll just, we're here. I'm in. We'll see what my answers can be. Okay. No, no, I mean, <laughs> your smallpox. Oh, no, no, no. No, <laughs> no uh, that, that's it for the smallpox. All right, cool. Um, all right. So uh, you guys have probably seen the pictures of like China and there's no uh, pollution over the city and like uh, the, the uh, canals in Venice, Italy are like blue and there's like dolphins showing up for the first time in like decades. Yeah, we actually talk, just talked about this on Saturday. Yeah. Oh, did you? So like, don't you think that maybe this is, I'm looking at this from, and hopefully this isn't a morbid approach, but like maybe this is supposed to happen. So like the earth's just like, dude, you got to give me like a month just to like breathe. Yeah. You dirty I, bastards. We've been talking about, that's kind of what I said. I was like, this is mother's nature way of going, Hey, back off for a second. Let, let me heal real quick. And then you guys can go back. Yeah. It, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, with everything we've done to the earth, it's like, well, the earth will win in the long run. The earth is going right. to send some virus to kill us all. And then all of a sudden this started happening. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa, what? Wait, I like you, Mother Earth. <laughs> Stay out of my house, please. Let's not Careful what you wish for. <laughs> Let's not pretend like Greta Thornburg did not warn us. <laughs> Holy shit! I didn't think about that. Do you? Yeah, that's another question. Do you think she's doing this to us? Maybe not her, but the mad scientist behind her. <laughs> I forget his her. name. Is she? Is she really fifteen? She's way smarter than all of us combined, and I think we're all adults. You know, we have, what, 150 years added up between us? She yeah. beat us on any debate. Yeah. In mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So, and, and more on a positive light, like, what if, you know, whatever you believe in, could it be like God's plan to bring everyone together? Like, no one's fighting each other. Um, I mean, there's always going to be some political unrest, but, you know, when you're faced with, like, 
how do we save people's lives? Um, so it gives all the countries like one common enemy to bring yeah. us together. So maybe could it that be the reason? Well, you know, Ronald Reagan said, you know, that it would take a alien invasion or, you know, source from out of this world to bring us all together. And yeah, it definitely has done so. I mean, not completely, but it's definitely it's, working that way. It's working that way a lot. People, I mean, right now, there's a lot, still a lot. I mean, a lot of people are still trying to make it political. And it's, but I think the average person is not trying to make it political. I think it's just, yeah. I mean, I've seen more people reach out to help their neighbors in the past few weeks than I've seen in years, you know. And we're getting ready to do an Oklahoma city bombing episode for our patreon podcast and the last time i think i saw uncle homans actually getting along like this was right after that bombing yeah yeah or after one of our many major tornadoes like just coming right. together and all right you need this all right this we're gonna get this taken care of and so it's nice to see that i wish we could be like this all the time but you know, I know it kind of makes me realize <laughs> wow i guess we're a bunch of assholes <laughs> um other than that so I don't know what traffic's like there. It's probably, you know, bad in the big cities. But, uh, like, in the San Francisco area, I mean, it's insane. It takes you, like, two hours to go, like, 15 miles. And it's just, like, insane. Everyone hates their their lives and their commute. It's, like, brutal. Um, and now everyone's working from home. And I think, like, people are going to come out of this being like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I traveling two hours a day each way? Um, I don't even need to be in an office. Like, I feel like this is going to solve all the traffic problems around the country. Uh, my boss actually has a friend that lives in, I think, Oceanside, California. And he said that uh, his buddy was talking to him and he was like, you know, I just drove the other day and there was nobody on the highway. And a commute that usually takes me about an hour and a half, two hours, took me 50 minutes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oceanside's pretty bad. That's on the outskirts of San Diego. And yeah. Well, see here, we're we're in the third largest city in Oklahoma. And I mean, a bad traffic day for us is what, thirty minutes to get across town? Yeah. Now it's only taking about ten to fifteen minutes to get across town. So it has cut that in half. Um I was actually noticing that today on my way home was like, there's nobody on the roads. It's kinda nice. Yeah. Now we have a stoplight every five feet, so we get stopped at those a lot, but <laughs> Say so, um, with this, I know I have a friend who lives uh, just outside Boston, and she had to work. She had to go like commute to work three to four days a week, and then like on the Friday she was allowed to work from home. And when all this hit, their boss told them, you know, just stay at home, work from home. And she said, since they've done that, it, their boss has actually found out that the workers are actually doing better working from home than they are commuting to work every day. So they're tempting just to have it sent to work from home for the rest of the year. So. Nice. Yeah, I think it'll change. I mean, everything's already set up to do that. All the online stuff and virtual meetings, and we're on Skype right now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is for fun. But Wait, I thought this uh, was Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, I'm also on, we're also on that too, but oh, yeah, that's, that. that's, okay. that's why I go on mute once in a while. <laughs> um, what if, again, whatever somebody believes in, what if God is out of souls? So he has to like kill some people off just to like get more souls back into people coming to this earth. Because <laughs> you got to run That's out eventually, right? 
That's a really deep thought. <laughs> and one I think we kind of talked about with our reincarnation episode that we did. You know, like, where are all the souls coming from? <laughs> so, yeah, it could be that the soul pile is getting, you know, our overpopulation has gotten so big. You know, he's left to, like, the Dahmers of the world that he doesn't want to re-release. So he's like, all right, restart. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really I like do like the, uh, the Mother Nature idea, though. Uh, because, you know, I think we've taken advantage of a lot of, and I, I say we, us as a populace on this, uh, on this planet have taken advantage of the natural resources that we have access to. And eventually, and I think it's gotten to the point of not even eventually now we're running out of those resources. Um, and the amount of time that it's going to take the world to restart isn't technically even taking that long. You're, you're seeing dissipation in China of the, uh, the, the chemicals in the air and how, how wide it is. They did a timeline of uh, how long it actually took to create that circular area around Han. Um, they did a timeline of how long it took for the, uh, the canals in Italy to, to, to clear up as well. And it's not taking that long for things to just kind of calm down. And if we just take it day by day and you know have, have a calm nature about ourselves and the way we act and care about each other then it turns into a situation that it can be a an easier route to, you know, I hate the word use the word salvation, but that's pretty much what we're aiming for because it's happened so many times. I mean, we, we've already talked about a few of them, but we're going we're gonna to learn about a, a couple more tonight as well. As yeah, well, well said. Yeah, isn't that fascinating how quickly it turns around? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, was, I have Jeez. a friend who lives tw- 20 minutes outside of Chicago. He's one of the guys I play... Uh, video games with and he said it's the bluest guys he's ever seen um in his hometown or right now because so much of the city is on quarantine and locked down that the factories aren't going so the pollution's down and he said he's never seen the sky so blue in chicago before well maybe this will just be a lesson to everybody that once they see what we have done because what they're going to actually see the world or places in the world that are healing, they're going to actually see what it could be like. And maybe that'll start some momentum towards, you know, the green initiatives and things like that to try to continue helping it thrive and survive. And, and I think it'll also show people that it, it is not too late. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, that's all the introspection I have. So we can get back to the, uh, the two worst viruses. Do we need yes, a palate cleanser? The death and carnage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the pestilence. All right, so Dave, what do you got for us? In 542 CE, under the reign of Byzantine Emperor Justinian I, the Byzantine Empire, or rather the Eastern Roman Empire, experienced a plague that resulted in the deaths of millions. This plague, now known scientifically as Yersinia pestis, or the bubonic plague, originated in China and northeast India, then was spread via land and sea trading routes. The point of origin for Justinian's plague was Egypt. The Byzantinian historian Procopius wrote, Is copi ex Egyptus in buentar he qui habitant in Pelsium? Wow. English, please. Oh, that was impressive. Sorry. It started from the Egyptians who dwell 
and Pelsium. Pelsium is on the Niles River's northern and eastern shores. Back in southern Italy, climate changes were taking place during this period. They actually experienced frost and snow during the middle of summer. The low temperatures and decrease of sunshine led to a famine, which led to social disruptions, war, and the first outbreak. People scattered throughout the region. Amongst these migrants were plague-infected and flea-ridden rats. The cold, tired, and hungry migrants moving all over Europe, combined with illness and disease in the midst of warfare, coupled with the high amount of trade going into Italy and the rest of the empire where there was famine. These diseased, flea-infested rats, moving with both the traders and the refugees, created a perfect condition for an epidemic. Procopius the historian wrote in History of the Wars, Volume 2, Section 22-23, And in the second year it reached Byzantium, in the middle of the spring, where it happened that I was staying at that time, and it came as follows, Apparitions of supernatural beings and human guise of every description were seen by many persons and those who encountered them thought they were struck by a man that had met in this or that part of the body as it happened. And immediately upon seeing this apparition, they were seized also by the disease. Now at first those who met these creatures tried to turn them aside by uttering the holiest of names and exercising them in other ways as well as each one could, but they accomplished absolutely nothing." For even in the sanctuaries where the most of them fled for refuge, they were dying constantly. But later on they were unwilling even to give heed to their friends when they called to them, and they shut themselves up in their rooms and pretended that they did not hear, although their doors were being beaten down, fearing, obviously, that he who was calling was one of those demons." But in the case of some, the pestilence did not come on in this way, but they saw a vision in a dream and seemed to suffer the very same things at the hands of the creature who stood over them, or else to hear a voice foretelling to them that they were written down into the number of those who were to die. But with the majority, it came about that they were seized by the disease without becoming aware of what was coming, either through a waking vision or a dream, and they were taken in the following manner. They had a sudden fever, some when just roused from sleep, others while walking about, and others while otherwise engaged, without any regard to what they were doing. And the body showed no change from its previous color, nor was it hot, as might be expected when attacked by a fever, nor indeed did any inflammation set in. But the fever was of such a languid sort from its consentment, and up till evening that neither to the sick themselves nor to a physician who touched them would it afford any suspicion of danger. It was natural. Therefore, not one of those who had contracted the disease expected to die from it. But on the same day in some cases, in others on the following day, and in the rest not many days later, 
a bubonic swelling developed. And this took place not only in the particular part of the body which is called bubin, that is, below the abdomen, but also inside the armpit, and in some cases also beside the ears, and at different points on the thighs. Up to this point, then, everything went in about the same way with all who had taken the disease, but from then on very marked differences developed, and I am unable to say whether the cause of this diversity of symptoms was to be found in the difference in bodies or in the fact that it followed the wish of him who brought the disease into the world. For there ensued with some a deep coma, with others a violent delirium, and in either case they suffered the characteristic symptoms of the disease. For those who were under the spell of the coma forgot all those who were familiar to them and seemed to lie sleeping constantly. And if anyone cared for them, they would eat without waking, but some were also neglected, and these would die directly through lack of sustenance. But those who were seized with the delirium suffered from insomnia and were victims of a distorted imagination, for they suspected that men were coming upon to destroy them, and they would become excited and rush off in a flight, crying out at the top of their voices, and those who were attending them were in a state of constant exhaustion and had a most difficult time of it throughout. For this reason, everybody pitied them no less than the sufferers, not because they were threatened by the pestilence in going near it, for neither physicians nor other persons were found to contact this malady through contact with the sick or with the dead, for many who were constantly engaged either in burying or in attending those in no way connected with them, held out in the performance of this service beyond all expectation. While with many other the disease came on without warning and they died straight away, but they pitied them because of the great hardships which they were undergoing. For when the patients fell from their beds and lay rolling upon the floor, they kept putting them back in place. And when they were struggling to rush headlong out of their houses, they would force them back by shoving and pulling against them. And when water chanced to be near, they wished to fall into it, not so much because of a desire for drink, for the most of them rushed into the sea, but the cause was to be found chiefly in the diseased state of their minds. They had also great difficulty in the matter of eating, for they could not easily take food, and many perished through lack of any man to care for them, for they were either overcome by hunger or threw themselves down from a height, and in those cases where neither coma nor delirium came on, the bubonic swelling became mortified, and the sufferer, no longer able to endure the pain, died. And one would suppose that in all cases the same thing would have been true. But since they were not all in their senses, some were quite unable to feel the pain, for owing to the troubled condition of their minds, they lost all sense of feeling. Unquote. That's intense. It sounds like more mental than anything. 
Um, Justinian's plague affected nearly half of the population of Europe, and nearly 25% of the population died. They estimate that to be anywhere from 30 to 50 million people in total. Jeez. I also learned what the uh, part of the body is between the armpit and the chest. I think you called it a, is it a bowby or something? Uh, the B-O-U-B-O-N is what it translated to. Boobin, that's right. And that was uh, well read, well spoken. I well, I totally you. forgot about Greta, Greta now. <laughs> <laughs> so is that the one that took down, um, I think you talked about, didn't that one take down the Roman Empire, they think? Um, it's, or, or was that it, Eli's? Eli's is the one that took down the Roman Empire. Uh, the Justinian plague is the one that took down the Byzantine Empire, oh, which Byzantine, is the Eastern right. Eastern Roman Empire. It yeah. was. Um, it also uh, might have contributed to the Muslim conquest, um, because I mean, this thing went on. It, it returned um, about every twelve years for the next two centuries up until seven seventy CE, um, and over that time, it. Killed probably around a hundred million people. Jeez. Now Procopius he wrote of the survivors as well. Quote. Now in those cases where the swelling rose to an unusual size and a discharge of pus had set in, it came about that they escaped from the disease and survived, for clearly the acute condition of the carbuncle had found relief in this direction. And this proved to be in general an indication of returning health. But in cases where the swelling preserved its former appearance, there ensued those troubles which I just mentioned. And with some of them, it came about that the thigh was withered. In which case, though the swelling was there, it did not develop the least separation. With others who survived, the tongue did not remain unaffected. And they lived on either lisping or speaking incoherently and with difficulty. Unquote. I think I would have just, if I got the Justinian plague, I think I would have just wanted to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it explains um, why people would jump off the ledges. And, and, and the, where um, Procopius was, um, he said at that time they really they couldn't bury anybody. So they were just throwing them over the cliffs onto the sea. And um, he estimated, which I think he estimated kind of high, but he said that there was anywhere from 2,500 to 5,000 uh, dead people per day from it. Oh, God. Which, I mean, even historians think it's probably more around the 2,500 than the 5,000. Yeah. And also, they, they had no way to remedy it, obviously, that we know of. No, just just simple like herbal medicine and and stuff like that, which, I mean, didn't really work. It's like all the same stuff we're doing today: quarantine, stay away, wash your hands. Of course, I don't know how much hand washing they did then. But this one seemed like it was like spread solely through fleas. I mean, even contacting somebody who wasn't sick wouldn't get you sick. So, oh, interesting. It, it so just. just- in, like animal or insect or whatever we're classified mammalia mm-hmm. uh, genome of flea is to humans directly huh interesting which which what would happen was the fleas would bite the rats 
and then those same fleas would bite humans, and the rats right. were already inflict, inflicted with it. So, yeah. Um, and and then it just it disappeared off the face of the earth for about five hundred and fifty years. Aliens, and and then it shows back up in pretty much what Amy's about to present. So what you're safe. saying, Amy, is fleas are aliens? Fleas are aliens, yeah. <laughs> is that what you're or that they're alien fleas that gave us the Justinian plague. Could be. Maybe aliens, <laughs> or fleas bit some aliens, and then, yeah. So they weren't really rats, they bit aliens. Yeah. And then, <laughs> got it. Just wanted to clarify your thinking. Everything is aliens, or big. it could have been Bigfoot. Yeah, it could have been Bigfoot. I bet he's got some fleas. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for the number one worst pandemic in humanity? We are ready for you. All right. The bubonic plague, a.k.a. the Black Death. Okay, come on, somebody. Sorry. Thank you. It was written in my Good script. work. <laughs> All right was a devastating global epidemic that struck Europe and Asia in 1347. In October 1347, ships from the Black Sea docked at the Sicilian port of Messia, Messina? Yeah, Messina, we'll go with that one. Uh, they docked at the Sicilian port of Messina. The people gathered on the docks were immediately met with a horrifying surprise. Most of the sailors aboard the ships were dead, and those that were alive were gravely ill, covered in black boils and that oozed blood and pus. Immediately, Sicilian authorities ordered the fleet of, quote-unquote, death ships out of the harbor. But it was too late. Over the next five years, the Black Death would kill more than 20 million people in Europe alone, almost one-third of the continent's population. Even before the death ships pulled into the Sicilian harbor, there had been stories and rumors about a great pestilence that was carving a deadly path across the trade routes in the east. And in, early, er, in the early 1340s, the disease had struck China, India, Persia, Syria, and Egypt. Sadly, even with the heads up, Europe was very ill-prepared for the arrival of the bubonic plague. Italian writer and poet Giovanni Boccaccio wrote, In men and women alike, at the beginning of the malady, certain swelling, either in the groin or in the armpits, waxed from the bigness of a common apple, others the size of an egg, some more, some less. These are the vulgar named plague boils. From these boils, blood and pus would seep out, which would be followed with a host of unpleasant symptoms. Fever, chills, vomiting, diarrhea, diarrhea, <laughs> diarrhea terrible aches and pains. <laughs> and then, a short amount of time later, death. Today's science, we have an understanding that the Black Death is spread by bacillus. There we go. <laughs> uh, Today, scientists today scientists have an understanding that the Black Death is spread by a bacillus called Yersinia pestis. Or Yersinia. That does sound pretty bad. Yersinia pestis. 
They know that this bossless travels from a person to person through the air as well as through bites of infected fleas and rats. In medieval Europe, these pests would have been found almost everywhere, but were particularly at home on ships of all kinds. Today, the spread of the Black Plague is understandable, but back in the 14th century, however, there seemed to be no rational explanation for it. No one had... Uh, no one of the time knew exactly how this was being spread or uh, no one at this time knew exactly how this was being spread and no one knew how to prevent it. According to one doctor of the time, instantaneous death, instantaneous death occurs when the aerial spirit escaping from the eye of the sick man strikes the, the healthy person standing near and looking at the sick. Some of the cru- yeah. no so basically you got it by looking at somebody who died at it from him. Some of the crudest techniques used by phys- some of the crude techniques used by physicians at the time included bloodletting, boil lancing, and superstitious practices such as burning aromatic e- eggs, aromatic burning bad eggs, aromatic herbs, and bathing in rose water and vinegar. Meanwhile, healthy people did all they could to try to avoid getting sick. Doctors would refuse to see patients. Priests refused to administer last rites. Shopkeepers closed their stores. Many people fled the cities for the countryside, but there was no escaping the disease. It affected not only people, but cows, sheep, goats, pigs, and chickens. In fact, so many sheep died that there was a shortage of wool in, across Europe. Because they did not understand the bio- biology of the disease, many people believed that it was some kind of divine punishment and retribution for sins against God, such as greed, blasphemy, heresy, fornication, and worldliness. So since this was the case, of course, logically, the only way to overcome this black death was to gain God's favor and forgiveness. They did so by purging their communities of heretics and troublemakers. Thousands of Jews were massacred in 1348-1349, Thousands more fled to sparsely populated regions of Europe so that they could be safe from the rampaging mobs. Some people also turned inward and were concerned only with the condition of their own souls. By the end of the 1350s, the Black Death had run its course, but the plague reappeared every few generations for centuries. But this is also how we got a lot of our modern sanitation and public health practices. Um, the things that we have learned from the bubonic plague. The Black Death is still alive and well today. Most cases are treated with antibiotics and in most cases recover. Deaths do still occur. And in May of 2019, there were two that died in uh, Mongolia. And in 2018, a child was confirmed to be the first person in Idaho to have been infected in nearly 30 years. Um, it's most common in desert areas, but it can... I mean, the Southwest United States, I know they were having a Black Plague epidemic. I think it was in uh, New Mexico a couple of years ago where there was one city there that everybody was getting it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still around and still alive wow. and well. I found it fascinating that it followed the same path as the Justinian Plague and pretty much the same spreading other than by then it had morphed to where you <laughs> could also catch it from... Uh, the respiration of people. Yeah. So it's... it's no, no. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, you can't. 
And this is, I mean, this is huge. Because um, when you think of bubonic plague, we think of Europe, right? Yeah. But this was worldwide, obviously, right? Yeah. I mean, it with the bubonic plague, especially at that point, trade routes had been pretty well established across Europe and Asia. And so you had all the continents just getting infested with these rats as they would come across on ships and, and then it would just spread from there. Right. And it, I think it knocked out, was it half of Europe or a third? I think a third of Europe, I think yeah. like f- over 40% of the world's population, I think. Yeah. It was crazy. How many people? That's insane. That. Well, and it, it's referenced so much in pop culture too. I mean, Monty Python and the Holy Grail was actually probably the first time I even heard about it. <laughs> you know, bring out your dead. <laughs> dead? You will be soon. No, I'm not better. No, you're not. You're just fooling yourself. I think we actually used that clip in a recent podcast. I forget. <laughs> Well, isn't isn't that the one where they used to wear those like long masks yes. that look like the spy versus spy guys? Exactly. Yep. That's where that that fashion statement came in. I mean, there's been the whole thing going around now with the coronavirus that people are selling the plague doctor masks again. Yeah, I've actually almost bought one, but I haven't done it. <laughs> My devil mask. I already spent the money on. I'm still waiting on. So I think it's interesting how there's like a quote unquote witch trial in the middle of this. It's yeah. like we got to burn all these people because God says so. Yeah, God's killing us from the plague. It must be these witches. Yeah, like not enough people are dying. They want to go after more people, healthy ones, and kill them. Yeah, you know, why not? So there's actually a good show uh, or movie on Netflix. I think it's called Black Death. It's uh, the guy who played Boromir on um, Lords of the Ring or played Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. I can't remember his name. Um, oh, yeah. But he's the main actor, and it's actually really good. That's just a crazy, crazy time. That one's definitely the scariest, I guess, just to the sheer numbers. And like you think about it. Um, that many people getting infected, like you were talking about, people uh, wouldn't uh, help people in need, or they wouldn't even go. Doctors just refuse to help people. Yeah, I mean that that could happen again with coronavirus, where I think hopefully are pretty far off. But I mean, at some point, if people just stop treating others and nobody's like trying to find a cure, and everyone's just like hunkering down in a hole. Well, I was one of the websites I found was actually a comparison of the bubonic plague to Corona and some of the things and, you know, social distancing was practiced. Self quarantine was practiced. Um, and it didn't help because, well, first of all, it was coming through fleas. So if one person right. had fleas and they went home, the whole family then ended up with it. So talk to social distance <laughs> from a flea. <laughs> fleas. They multiply so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they practice a lot of the same things we're practicing now. And I think that, to me, was more scary because when you realize the fact that they have no clue how this thing spreads, I mean, they've got ideas, but they don't know for sure. They don't know how long it lives. They don't know how to get rid of it. It's just treating symptoms. And it's almost identical to almost every single one of these pandemics where are these worst pandemics in history is it just they have no clue how to stop it 
and I mean, of of all these, the only one that actually has a cure is smallpox. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, out of the five, I mean, the reason I think smallpox is on this list because it was three hundred to five hundred million, but it was curable at least. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. I think what killed the most was bubonic plague, then smallpox, then Spanish flu, then plague of Justinian. And then uh, we had some honorable mention ones that we didn't do. HIV, AIDS. But I think most people don't think of that as a plague just because now we know how to prevent it. Um, there was one called the Third Plague in 1855 that killed um, 12 million. Antonine Plague, 12 million. Asian flu, even, in 1957 killed 12 million. So that's pretty recent. Um but it was there's just because the population is growing so much and it's a smaller percentage, you know, that one was like under one percent of the population. So yeah. now I will say that the HIV uh, pandemic it caused decades of homophobia with the population that I mean really in some places <laughs> is just now recovering from yeah. in America. All right. Well, that, none of these. See, the other ones weren't like. Uh, focused on a type of, you know, sex or, or like sexual preference. It was like the bubonic plague got you whether you were uh, gay, straight, yeah. black, white, whatever, into bestiality, whatever. <laughs> maybe maybe it got you more there, said the fleas. But um, yeah, that, that's, and that's one that had a stigma, you're right. And, and right now there's a stigma rising amongst... Uh, uh, Chinese people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly in the beginning, because people seem to connect it to China mostly or only, Mm. but now it seems to be everywhere. Maybe people will kind of forget that unless they, I mean, technically it started there, but, um, had nothing to do with like a Chinese person per se, but maybe something they did or ate at a, uh, animal uh barbecue store or whatever the, <laughs> wherever this may have come from eating bats or whatever the hell it was yeah well yeah. i mean and the coronavirus itself is been around for centuries yeah and i mean we've all probably had some form of the coronavirus at some point in time because the common flu is a type of coronavirus yeah. uh, the cold not the common flu the common cold yeah um it's just this one is mutated, and, so and this it's one's different. It's not like it, there's what they knew of eighteen strands of yeah. coronavirus strains. and strains, and this is nineteen. It's a new one that they didn't know what it existed. And the th- worst thing about it is the fact that it's mutating quicker than they can cure it. So they find something that works for one person, well, it has the opposite effect on the next person. Yeah, and that's what I think is the scariest part about it is. You don't know how long it's going to take for them to find an actual cure for it. Yeah, because like MERS and SARS and some other ones, they're all coronaviruses. Yeah. But we didn't, those didn't quite catch on like this is. Well, in, you know, um, we have an uncle who lives in Thailand and he was thinking he was free and clear because, I mean, they're so close to China. They haven't had any, they have a lot of Chinese tourism. They hadn't really had any. And then all of a sudden this week, it's kind of exploding there. And, yeah. you know, so, I mean, there's something about it that's changing. Yeah. So The the symptoms to it are so light starting out that you, that you 
like when you get it, you're like, oh, I got got some allergies or something. You know, I'm kind of wheezy. Yeah, so and a lot of the people testing positive for it right now aren't really showing symptoms. They have a little cough and it's like they sneeze, and it's like, well, in Oklahoma right now, it's springtime. Yeah, we're yeah. all facing <laughs> allergies, so you can't tell. Which speaking of, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh, I virus. <laughs> oh yeah, I went to I'm a, infected. a parent-teacher conference last week, and in the middle of the parent-teacher conference, I started having a coughing fit, and everybody was kind of looking at me like, um, "I'm like, no, I promise, it's just allergies." Have you not seen the Bartlett pears outside? <laughs> They're brandishing crucifixes. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. Hum num shabai. Hum num shabai. <laughs> Man, well, all I can say is you guys stay safe out there. Do we want? To, is there anything else we want to cover? Yeah. I think it was a I pretty think, good episode. I think we kind of think got into the big of it. Episode we've done in a long time. <laughs> it's hard to make a pandemic funny, but we tried a little bit. I've got some. I told you I had those cards. I got some questions for you, since you always come at us with questions. It's oh, sweet! Turn. And these are real questions. Uh oh. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are real questions. He's True. a real person. They were real too. questions. In the eighteen hundreds, this <laughs> European in the eighteen hundreds, this European city morgue placed unidentified bodies on displays to the public. Was it A Venice, B Paris, C Prague, or D Amsterdam? Prague. This is for him, not you. Uh, oh shit. Okay, I can I can phone a friend, Eli. I'm gonna say Prague because he's probably looking at the card. He's not, and he is wrong. But was Prague even was Prague even a city then? <laughs> I'm trying to think. It, that was part of Czechoslovakia. It's probably Amsterdam. Paddy. I think we're hitting all the other ones. Yeah, you know, I'm going to say Paris since we haven't said that one yet. It was in fact Paris. <laughs> oh, third guess. It was referred to as the only free theater in Paris. Ugh. Oh, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> in the 19th century. <laughs> In the 19th century, when someone died, which way would they be carried out of the house? Through the back of the house, face down, head first, or D, feet first? Um, let's see. Probably not head or feet first, since we do that now. I'm going to say the back of the house. It was D, feet oh. first, so that the spirit wouldn't look back into the house and lure others to follow them into death. <laughs> <laughs> And one last okay. one. All told, how many people died in Shakespeare's plays? A, 32. <laughs> B, seven, er, 47. C, 63. Or D, 79. Who even oh my knows God. that? <laughs> it, it's, it, it really totaled that many? <laughs> I don't remember massacres in Shakespeare's plays. Um, I'm going to say B. It was... C, 63. 63? Yes. Was there like a big battle in one of them? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there was. I mean, Romeo, I guess, would be, there was the battle between the... Yeah. So that is a little bit of trivia from you from my uh, morbid curiosity game. Thank you for that. That was was a nice surprise. Those are our palate cleansers when we really do deep, dark episodes. We do a few questions, so... I mean, those are pretty dark. Those are pretty dark <laughs> themselves. So, so how, how's everything going with you, man? Uh, oh, thanks for asking. Uh, going good. Just trying to 
stay alive, stay disease free. Yeah. And good, um, it's just kind of a weird time trying to balance uh, staying at home with the family. Yeah. Who knew that would be the hardest part? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. What about you, Eli? Uh, Are you hanging in there? Everything's going good, man. Everything's good. So maybe we'll have to get together once this this thing gets all finished and see what the the true impact and ramifications of it yeah. were. Do an update later yeah. on. Revisit yeah. the pandemic. Hopefully yeah, none of sure. us get it. Could all be dead by then. We'll have another pandemic fun hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What if we'll do like we beat this pandemic, or we'll be all of us like in a box hole somewhere in the middle of some mud flat, <laughs> like our last hours. <laughs> Now, last week, me and Amy actually got out the board game pandemic to help teach our daughter how quick the kind of things spread. Yeah. Wow. How'd that go? She actually... She's totally traumatized? Nah, she, no, she enjoyed it. She kind of got bored with the game because, I mean, it's it's an adult board game, so it's not, yeah. you know, Candyland. It's but... like a cooperative <laughs> strategic game. Have you ever played it? No. Oh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, ba- basically, you you work for like the CDC, and then like viruses start in different countries, and then you get outbreaks. And, really? Yeah, and then no you way. have to like defeat the. You have to find the cure for them or eradicate them, and before they take over the world. Yeah. So far, every time we played it as a group, we lose. We so. we tend to lose. We tend to get a lot of outbreaks. <laughs> um, You've been overtaken. <laughs> We've even cheated and made sure we got the characters we said we needed. And we still couldn't. <laughs> well, let's let's hope our professionals at the CDC have some better resources. Yeah, <laughs> to call you guys in. I I don't have any medical background, but I have played Pandemic a few times. Yeah, um, check out uh, Will Wheaton's YouTube. Uh, he plays a lot of board games and reviews them and things. And I know he's done that one. It was voted okay, cool. uh, Game of the Year. Um, oh, way back when when it first came out. Yeah, it's a fun game. Definitely recommend it. And I, it's something good to do. So I mean, you got, teach our... You guys already room. had it then. Yeah, we've been playing it, it for years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. I still want... They yeah, still have a special one. edition that's Pandemic, The Call of Cthulhu. And it's about <laughs> Cthulhu coming. Fuck! I really want it, but it's really hard to find. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I don't know. This is somp- sobering, but fun. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for inviting us to do this one. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Thanks for inviting us to do this. Yeah, we're actually yeah, in the middle. Oh yeah, thanks for thanks for jumping in. So last minute, by the way. So you guys stay safe and stay inside. All right, you too. Uh, tell Jason right. to peel that leg up. The broken lip bones suck. We believe him that he's trying to stay cured, safe from the disease. He doesn't have to break another one. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. All right, cool. I want to know. Eli, good to, good to hear from you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm a special guest, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right, guys, have a good night. All right, you too. Thanks again. All right. All right, bye. Chuck, can you guys hear me okay? Yep, you sound good. uh, Is Eli here too or no? I just, I've talked multiple times, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I know I sound kind of like Chad, but not too much like Chad. I have my own like Eli app that just plays your sound clips, so I have that all in the background. So I wasn't sure which is like real. You're like, I need some Eli. <gasps> Thank you guys for listening. We 
had a lot of fun working with Steve. Thank you, Steve, for coming up with the idea and inviting us along on the journey. Um, I know this was not really a paranormal topic, but it's a topic of the time. And I think that's kind of important to talk about it in reference to history, because I think history shows a lot of the superstitions behind what caused mm-hmm. these viruses and the knowledge, I think, makes things try, you know, we try to make things less scary. So sometimes knowledge does make things less scary when you understand it a little bit more. So now, now mine got a little paranormal when he was talking about the apparitions of supernatural beings yeah. <laughs> bringing the plague around. <laughs> yep. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash UMP normalcy. Um, join us on our Facebook group. Um, you can search UNP normalcy or unearthing paranormalcy. Either one should take you to the group. Um, we're also on Instagram and Twitter at UMP normalcy. And our website's umpnormalcy.com. And we thank you guys for listening. You are the very best. And until next time, keep digging.